0: Let's now uh, rise from our seats as we receive our scripture reading today that comes from Daniel chapter 11. This is his word for us today. At the time appointed, he shall return and come into the south, but it shall not be this time as it was before. For ships of Kittim shall come against him, and he shall be afraid and withdraw, and shall turn back and be enraged and take action against the holy covenant. He shall turn back and pay attention to those who forsake the holy covenant. Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress, and shall take away the regular burnt offering. And they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. But the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. And the wise among the people shall make many understand, though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame, by captivity and plunder. When they stumble, they shall receive a little help, and many shall join themselves to them with flattery. And some of the wise shall stumble, so that they may be refined, purified, and made white until the time of the end, for it still awaits the appointed time. And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished. For what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other god for he shall magnify himself above all. He shall honor the God of fortresses instead of these. A God whom his fathers did not know he shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He shall deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign God. Those who acknowledge him, he shall load with honor. He shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for a price. At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him, but the king of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind, with chariots and horsemen, and with many ships. He shall come into countries and shall overflow and pass through. He shall come into the glorious land, and tens of thousands shall fall, but these shall be delivered out of his hand. Edom and Moab and the main parts of the Ammonites, he shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall become rulers of the treasures of Gold and silver, and all the precious things of Egypt, and the Libyans, and the Cushites shall follow in his train. But news from the east and the north shall alarm him, and he shall go out with great fury to destroy and devote many to destruction. And he shall pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain. He shall come to his end with none to help him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please have a seat.
1: How do we do this? Uh, This is a very difficult passage. Uh, Last week was the start of the final uh, vision of Daniel, from chapters 10 all the way to 12. And last week was the precursor, the context of the vision. Today is the content of the vision. And next week will will be the conclusion of the vision. And here we have the content, the actual things that will happen today. Uh, But before we get started into that... uh, how many of you heard about a lease agreement that has something called the Messiah Clause in it? Anyone? Messiah Clause? The Messiah Clause goes like this. Uh, landlords in, uh, living in Jerusalem, and they, they're living outside, and uh, they, they have property in Jerusalem. Uh, they often sign an agreement with their tenants uh, where it says this. If the Messiah should return, you have 15 days to get out of this house. <laughs> because they want to get back in time. uh, because if the Messiah comes back and he establishes his kingdom in Jerusalem, they want to be there for that time. I love how practical that is. Uh, swallowed this and digested this and made it even a legal issue. But here's my question, though. Your Messiah, can't he even give you some real estate if he returns? And, you know, our God promises, Jesus says, in my Father's house are many rooms. I go to prepare this house for you. But, you know, if in the turbulence of our times, if in the chaos of our times, if your hope is getting is, is getting a plot of land, your dreams are too shallow. I don't know how solid your dreams are. And this applies to everything else. If your dreams and your hopes are anchored in circumstances or people, kings or kingdoms or countries or movements or stock prices... Uh, there is something deeper that we must discover to actually give thanks in turbulent times. And we want to discover that, but first of all, by going through a brief but detailed survey of all the 45 verses of this, uh, of this chapter. And then we'll go into two points to observe and then conclude uh, with the gospel. So with that said, this sweeping chapter... Uh, takes you at breakneck speed through everything that's been ch- covered in chapter 2 and 7 and 9. It covers all the visions and details in greater detail with progressive revelation. It shows more and more as a magnifying glass how detailed it is. And the final vision is the most detailed. Uh, there is a reason why secular scholars hate this because it's so detailed uh, that people say it's written like history instead of prophecy because everything here happened already. And so we'll see what happens uh, through these nations. Uh, it talks about everything that will happen to Persia and Greece and, uh, and then Antiochus and then Rome. And this is the most detailed version of all the, all the visions. Um, so let's do a brief survey, talk about these two observations. Uh, let's start with verse 2. They're supposed to be in Persia. Uh, Four kings, where the fourth king is Xerxes. Uh, Xerxes had a multi-ethnic army comprised of Persians, Arabs, and Ethiopians, and Greeks, uh, as we see on Xerxes' tomb uh, on a picture. And that picture shows us how there is a multi-ethnic army, as verse 2 predicts, and also evidenced in the prophetic movie called 300, right? (laughs) Uh, And then let's go to verses 3 and 4. Now this talks about a great ruler, uh, a great man, who is uh, later prophesied to be Alexander the Great. And what happens is he dies at a very young age in a uh, a drunken party in Babylon, I think. And his, uh, his kingdom is divided not amongst his children, but amongst his four generals. And we look at the map here. We see the four directions, or in uh, Daniel chapter 7, the four directions of the horns spread out across the nations. And so it's divided into, in 323 BC, Cassander, and then Lysimachus, Ptolemy, and Seleucus. These are the four kingdoms that we see for quite a while, and all of the rest of the verse presumes this map in some format of it. Uh, So, go to verse 5. Out of these two kingdoms, the north and the south are the two most prominent kingdoms that we have. And we get two kings, the king of the south and the king of the north. The king of the north is the Seleucids, and the king of the south is the Ptolemites. It's like two warring houses based on two generals from Alexander the Great's period. Verses 7-9, through nine, these are fulfilled when Ptolemy III prevails over the north for a while. And then verses 10 through 12, I'm sorry, you can't read this all. <laughs> but verses 10 through 12, then we see the king of the north, his name was Antiochus the Great or Antiochus III. He launches an expedition against Phoenicia and Palestine from 219 to 218 BC. But then he was defeated by Ptolemy IV in the Battle of Raphia near Gaza, the, the Egyptian border of Gaza that we have right now. If you look at, if you remember the map, the north and south both overlap over Israel. That's where they always fought. And so Israel and that surrounding area was the greatest area of conflict. And it went back and forth, back and forth between the Seleucids and the Ptolemites. Ptolemites. Then in verses 13 to 16, here we see the king of the north, uh, he returns and musters a great army after being defeated in Araphia, And then... Uh, And where Antiochus, uh, the king of the north, he wrestles Israel out of the Egyptian control, the Ptolemites' control, using armored units, uh, uh, armored units called cataphracts. And these are used to defeat the Ptolemites, then occupies Israel in fulfillment of verses 13 through 16. Verse 17 later shows the king of the north, Antiochus III, will in 195 BC, he tries to create peace between the north and the south. By giving her daughter Cleopatra the first, not the famous Cleopatra that we know, but that's a hundred years later, but the ancestor to her, she is given to Ptolemy the fifth to hope that they can hold hold hands and become unified as a nation. But what happens is, uh, as the verse predicts, Cleopatra holds hands with her husband and they betray the north together. Then, verse eighteen and nineteen. Antiochus III would return his attention to westward uh, Asia Minor and Greece, and he creates a treaty of Apamea in 188 BC. Uh, but then he was defeated by Roman general Lucius, and I'm not going to pronounce his whole name, Cornelius Asiaticus. And then Antiochus III would be killed by enraged local citizens while raiding a Babylonian temple around 187 BC in fulfillment of this verse. This should be getting creepy. It's like, how do you know all this? Because this was written in 5, something, 535 B.C.-ish. And these are events happening later in 200 and 100, late 100, 100 B.C. And so this is 375 years before this all happened. You should be freaked out. Okay? And then verse 20, in fulfillment of this prophecy, or this part of the prophecy, Seleucus III, the eldest son of Antiochus III, is assassinated after a very, very brief reign. And so his keynote is very futile, right? And then verse 21, there comes our uh, most feared Antiochus IV Epiphanes that we talked about in, uh, in a, few, a previous sermon. And this Antiochus fourth Epiphanes rises up by flattering the kings of Pergamus, Romans, and flattered the Syrians in fulfillment of verse 21. And then verse 22, the prince of the covenant mentioned here was the high priest Ananias III who was murdered that year in fulfillment of verse 22. Verse 23 to 27, the vile person Antiochus Epiphanes, he conquers the kings of Ptolemy Ptolemy in the south. All which happened, uh, uh, as we see in uh, in these four verses, and then verse 20 to 35, it gets a little bit longer, but this is what exactly what Antiochus does to Israel in the Holy Land. Uh, he comes back with violence. This is where all the text starts from today, starting from verse 29. Antiochus IV, Epiphanes, comes back from a failed military campaign in Egypt, and he is enraged at Jewish culture for, for some reason. And so he turns towards destroying everything Jewish that he discovers because he was so uh, uh, in love with Uh, Roman and Hellenistic culture so he sets up an image of Zeus in the temple, he desecrates it and he offers a pig on the sacrifice altar so that worship cannot continue and then he later takes 80,000 Jews uh, he kills 80,000 Jews, takes 40,000 of them as prisoners and then sells 40,000 of them as slaves and he he later plunders the temple according to this passage, robbing it of about 1 billion dollars in modern standards Uh, These are very detailed historical records that fulfill these verses. Then starting in verse 36, something really interesting happening. Uh, The time frame and the scope of this kind of shift from Antiochus IV now to the Antichrist of the future that we are still waiting for and what he will accomplish. And so these verses are fulfilled in Antiochus but also going to be fulfilled one more time in the Antichrist. And so it says he will exalt himself and magnify himself above every God. Antiochus' fourth epiphanies fulfills these, but they will also be the characteristic of the coming Antichrist who will exalt himself above every God. Jesus says in Matthew twenty four fifteen that the real abomination of desolation that Daniel talks about is still to come in the future, referring to the Antichrist. So in other words, Antiochus' epiphanies and what he did, the slaughter that he committed, is only a trailer to the actual real Antichrist. So, who is he? Uh, verses 37 and 39 gives us a lot more info about who this uh, Antichrist will be. It says, He shall regard neither the God of his fathers, and in other translations, neither the God of his fathers, nor the desire of woman. And so this kind of shows that he is of Jewish descent, probably asexual or homosexual and he is probably the king of the north meaning that he's probably also russian and so don't get don't get bogged down to the details because if you put this all together we get a really interesting picture the antichrist will likely be a rich powerful russian national a homosexual jew who owns a lot of real estate and now all of you are going to go to google like who fits that criteria it's not worth it because Scripture really tells us who the Antichrist is. What is it? Let's go to 1 John 4, 2-3. How do we know that it's Antichrist? It's the spirit of the Antichrist we must be aware of. For this, by this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has actually come in the flesh is, is from God. He is of God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist for which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Anyone who says that Christ is not Lord, that he is not from God, is of the Antichrist. And so we don't have to do guessing games as to who the identity is. It is a characteristic of a humanity that denies Christ. And finally, we go to verse 40. Verse 40 is where it says the end of days. All these are prophecies yet to be fulfilled, and these are the last time's Armageddon. Uh, We have the south and the north fighting each other for one last time, and it's likely going to be Egypt or the Arabian nations fighting against Russia and Syria. Uh, We don't know why they would fight right now because they seem pretty pretty aligned in their stance on Israel right now, but uh, that is supposed to be the last picture, the king of the south and the north fighting. And the Antichrist comes out as victor until he is destroyed by God himself. So that's the summary of the whole chapter. Now, so what? So what? Because you're going to go home, you're going to have a Thanksgiving dinner later, uh, so what? And this is where we really want to pray. This chapter is usually preached alongside chapter 12 because this chapter doesn't give us closure. It's a... It's a hanging uh, narrative that isn't completed and we are caught up with the details of how this is supposed to end. In order to give you closure and hope and thanksgiving in these turbulent times summarized by all these passings of nations, we have to look between the lines to see two very important things. One is the obvious thing coming from this passage and one is the inverse of that, the conclusion. So number one, repeat after me. The world... Is turbulent because kings and kingdoms fail. A very simple summary of everything that's happening the world is crazy because kings and their kingdoms, presidents and their promises, dictators and their policies fail. At least 20 rulers I listed are presented in Daniel 11 alone, they are all dead. Their their names do not leave behind such great ripples. Those kings had missions and promises and conquests and missions that that failed in assassinations, coup d'etats, broken peace treaties, failed marriages, and civil unrest. It doesn't work. What about our times? How many of us are saying, and this is where it gets practical, how many of us are saying, if only that political party disappeared... Or if only the cure to cancer is developed. If only technology and education would both advance astronomically, then we can be happy. Is that true? you got to know from the summary of the sweeping history of these four nations, it is not true. And yet, my challenge is you still live like it. As if one more purchase on Amazon will upgrade the quality of your life. That is not true. Let's get more realistic and local. A lot of you say, if only I get married. If only my children grow up well and happy and healthy. If only I could amass enough knowledge and skill and reputation, then I'll be happy. No. Case PC, if your hopes and your happiness and your thanksgiving depend upon people or movements or yourself or your own well-being, you will be ultimately disappointed. I love how in Hannah's testimony, she said, I do not rely upon my emotions. Relying upon emotions to judge where you are objectively is not the way to go. We have to look to God's word to see what it says about me and who I am to get a truth that extends kings and kingdoms. Who are we in Christ? We are beloved of the mighty God created as an image with infinite dignity and worth that Christ died for to restore unto God forever. And that is the highest happiness we can get prescribed by God and not from the moving, moving changes in the world. Please find your anchor and find your stone, find your rock, not in the turbulent times, but in something else that is deeper. Amen. This will impact mental health. This will impact emotional health. This will impact relationships if we discover that this world is not where our hope lies in. God himself contrasts himself with all of creation by his knowledge and power and his character. His challenge is, in in Isaiah 41, 21-23, he cries out to idols and kings and governments. This is what he says. Present your case. Bring forth your strong reasons, says the king of Jacob. Let them bring forth and show us what will happen in the future. Let them show the former things, what happened before and what they were, that we may consider them and know the latter end of them or declare to us the things to come. Show us the things that we may consider them and know the latter end of them or declare to us the things to come. Show the things that are to come hereafter that we may now know that you are God's. Yes. Do good or do evil, so that we may be despaired and see it dismayed and see it together. The challenge that God has for idols and gods and philosophies and governments and kingdoms is to tell the future or control it. And Alexander the Great would tell you, I couldn't even divide my kingdom amongst my kids if he had any. I don't know. I have to look it up again. We cannot control, let alone know the future. Scripture's main accusation against idols and false gods and proud kings is that they are powerless. Will you stake your happiness on things that are powerless? Or will you let your hope rest upon God Almighty who wrote all this in scary accuracy? Number two, this is the inverse. How do we have Thanksgiving? Repeat after me. Thanksgiving Thanksgiving. is possible possible because God's mission And God's kingdom will never fail. Amen. Amen. I read Daniel chapter uh, 11 very many times this week. And every time I read it, I was finding this weird sense of frustration. I didn't know where it came from until I discovered it came from the cadence of how I read it. Like there was a rhythm that kept on being broken as I read it. And it came from the word shall. Shall. The word shall in chapter 11 and 12 is used how many times? 107 times. What does shall mean? I, I, I did this manually. I didn't look it up on ChatGPT. GPT. I, I underlined every shall because I was getting so frustrated because it cut the flow of my reasoning. And shall means it will or it must happen. It's a prophecy. So, this word is used 107 times. And out of this, every 85 instances of shall up to verse 40 before the end times have been fulfilled do you get that? It's all been fulfilled, and there are 28 shells that remain. Get this right: 85 have been fulfilled; 28 are coming. Now, actually, it doesn't add up. I think of it, yet, but uh, I'll get a correct number afterwards. <laughs> if each event had a let's let's be generous and be more generous than like a, a lotto, right? A lottery. If each event had a one percent chance of happening, which is quite gener- generous then the possibility of 170 events happening is apparently 1 over 10 to the 214th power that is an astronomically i asked chatgpt on this it's astronomically impossible for this to happen it is like like fine tuning of the universe level impossible for chapter 11 to have happened so every secular scholar will say this cannot happen this was written as history not as prophecy Well, all the biblical scholars date this to real 535, 534 BC. Why do we get that? Because Daniel 10 says, what? In the first year of the King Cyrus of Persia, that's that age period, because this prophecy is so specific, like Britannica says this about the book of Daniel, because its religious ideas do not belong to the 6th century, uh, it's likely to have happened way later. Numerous scholars date Daniel to the first half of the second century B.C. and relate the visions to the persecution of the Jews under Antiochus IV Epiphanes. That's Britannica's conclusion because there is no supernatural worldview in which it's possible. Or, what do we believe? And here I want you to make a decision. Agree with Britannica or agree with this. God exists. He's all-powerful. And he's in control of future. I want you to make a decision. Because you're presented with the facts now. And a lot of us live as if God doesn't control anything. When we understand God's sovereignty, I want you to make a decision. Stop being on the fence as if God is just a good helper or a counselor, but not a sovereign king. And on the other side is, yeah, this is good literature, but it's probably historical. And you have all these, you know, uh, New ideas about scripture that scripture itself doesn't talk about. Make a choice. Either God is God or he is not. Now, Isaiah 46, 9-10 says this. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand. Amen? This is the God that we believe in. So, all idols, kingdoms, and philosophies fall short of the test of time. No one knew this but Daniel. Let me tell you a different story now. Daniel chapter 2 talks about the statue that Daniel predicted for King Nebuchadnezzar and how the nations would fall afterwards. And remember what happens at the end. A stone rolls off a mountain and it hits the bottom feet of clay of that statue so it falls over so that that rock, is what it says about it. And the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw the stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke into pieces the iron, the bronze, and the clay, and the silver, and the gold. A rock not made by human hands is where we find stability in the turbulence of the world. And that is Jesus Christ. History will now show that this rock was a person, the Messiah. And this Messiah, he needed to become so many things. We'll talk about some of the prophecies here. He needed to become a child who grows up to rule in peace, Isaiah 9.5. Or a judge and a descendant from the line of Judah, Genesis 49.10-12. And also from the line of David, Isaiah 11.1-4. He also needed to be a great warrior, Numbers 24.1. A humble king, Zechariah 9, 9.7, also riding on a donkey. And then the prophesied son of man, according to Daniel 7.13, who had crushed the head of the serpent, Genesis 3.15. He needed to be born in Bethlehem, a native of Nazareth, a blessing to the nations, offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Judah, and then David, a lion or a lamb that fulfills the law and the prophets. Mathematician Peter Stoner illustrates what it takes to fulfill just eight of these prophecies in one lifetime. He says I'm quoting from him, "We take 10 to the 17th power silver dollars, and we lay them across the state of Texas, and they will cover two feet of silver coins." Now mark one of these silver dollars and stir the whole mass thoroughly, color them red, color one of them red, and then blindfold a man and tell him to pick a coin. That's how likely it is to find a Messiah." out of eight prophecies. Now listen to this: How many prophecies are there about the Messiah? J. Barton Payne found 574 verses in the Old Testament that point to the coming Messiah and his kingdom. And a more conservative estimate, Alfred Erdesheim found 456 Old Testament verses referring to the Messiah or his times. And at minimum, the most conservative scholars find that Jesus fulfilled at least 300 prophecies in his earthly ministry. We are beyond astronomical now. This is impossible. Remember the formula? Let's show the formula if you have it. It's P1 times P2 times P3. What that means is it's a probability of one event times the probability of the next event, and the next event all the way to 175 determines the whole, sorry, 107 determines the whole probability of the prophecy. Jesus is multiplying that to 300, and even if one of these probabilities is zero, then the whole thing doesn't work. Now, where could this be stumped? Jesus is prophesied to what? die, and rise again. That is probability zero. This is an impossible prophecy for anyone to fulfill, and yet, he rose from the grave. He sits on the right hand of God. No historian is able to debunk Jesus' resurrection. Therefore, what are we trying to say? God loves you so much, he did the impossible for you. That is where our hope rests upon. Jesus did not come into the world as a mathematical formula. <laughs> he didn't come into the world as an impossibility. He didn't come to say, Tada, see how powerful God is. That's not what he's trying to say. He came in the flesh to serve humanity, to bear the cross, to bear our sin. And he now intercedes for us in the Holy Spirit while kings and kingdoms fall and his love will not. Kings and kingdoms will fall, but his love will not. That is the anchor that we rest upon in turbulent times. My challenge for you is to find something that gives you peace in chapter 11. You will not find anything that gives you peace in chapter 11 because it's all about the state of affairs in the world right now. And you see it. You see it in the world. But Deuteronomy 32.4, that is our hope. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. Trust this God. Trust the Messiah that he sent. Trust in Jesus Christ, the mathematical improbability as we talked about today, but also the one who came in the flesh to save you at impossible odds. one thing about preaching in Daniel you know um, this is a testimony uh, that I shared with a few people ever since I came to case PC uh, every week when I preached some something in that week happened where I experienced a little bit of what I preached and that's why I'm often pretty stressed out because I experienced what I'm trying to preach on Uh, by some event or by some topic or conversation. And this time, uh, you know, last week when Daniel had to fast for three weeks, it says he didn't have any delicacies, like nothing, you know, fancy or greasy. And that's when I got my gallbladder taken out. I couldn't have anything fancy or greasy, right? I was like, God, I I didn't want to experience this. I'm never going to preach on Revelation. (laughs) Uh, But this week, I'm going to end with this... uh... (coughs) I dreamed uh, the most vivid dream I've ever had. And afterwards, I asked my wife, like, what kind of mushroom did you put in the denjang jjigae yesterday? <laughs> it was the most, most vivid dream I had. I actually drew a picture of it, and I wanted to show it here, but it was a little too intimate because it's in my journal, and, you know, I'm not going to do that. But uh, let me just tell you the dream. Not to scare you, not to, you know, go, like, fully mystical or charismatic, but I'll tell you why I talk about the dream. Uh, it's in the dream. It's the apocalypse, <laughs> and I'm I my, I, I'm holding my daughter's hand down some steps that have pebbles and grass embedded into it. It's so vivid. I, I, I smell, uh, sight, sense. All of this was so enhanced. I dropped my three kids off into a Japanese-looking like uh, uh, preschool, and this is the saddest thing ever to say. I'm sorry. This sounds so depressing, but in my heart, I was saying, at least. Uh, they'll die with their friends laughing because it was the apocalypse. Like, everything was just breaking. Uh, and then I find myself magically transported to a building, a, a futuristic building, kind of looking like KSPC. Um, but it was filled with people escaping the uh, escaping the earthquake that was happening. And I knew that the building would crumble, and I was going to die with my wife and my parents, uh, who are missionaries. And my miss- I remember... <laughs> My, my mom looks at me, and she has this twinkle in her eye, and she says, David, this is the best mission field ever. And they start evangelizing, and they push me out of the building, and the building collapses. And then uh, and up, the next scene is I'm, I'm, I'm in my, uh, uh, my, my minivan with my wife, and we're driving to Canada, but the weather's going haywire, and so we're going to freeze to death. And so I remember holding on to her, and we're just getting to like die painlessly, right? Uh, until we see some people passing by, and I was like, it, like we were freezing to death, it was so cold, and I briefly woke up at that moment, and I, I noticed my wife had taken all the blankets. Right? <laughs> <laughs> her her wrists are this thin, like she's not that strong, I don't know how she always takes the blankets. Anyway, I was so cold, I was like, no, no, no one does this is apocalypse, right? And I, I fall asleep one last time, and that's where I dream, we're on a bridge over, going over to Canada, and... The bridge breaks on a really high point, and we're at the top of the bridge. some people have given up and they're just fishing up there and uh, we're stuck on the point of the bridge because both sides have been broken away and this is what I see it's like I see a orange and a green sun rising up at the same time, two suns rising up at the same time, and they're going back so fast under the earth not above it they're going so fast that I was calculating how. How fast does the earth have to rotate to see the earth going back and forth and the sun going back and forth that quickly? And in my heart, I felt a dread and a fear. I was saying, I saw something that I can't comprehend. I, I, I need to die. I can't see this. Because everything was breaking apart so quickly. And suddenly, uh, I, was, I was still holding my wife's hand. Uh, Reverend Rue shows up, <laughs> the senior pastor. And he's like looking at the sun. I was laughing inside because like, oh, you ran away all the way until here as well. <laughs> uh, but we saw him, and he's like, "David, let's pray." And we, the three of us, huddle and we close our eyes and we pray. And he says, "Just don't open your eyes. Let's pray until everything's finished, and we all die." Why am I giving you this uh, Thanksgiving dream? <laughs> here it is. Um, after that dream, I, I, I just cried for two hours like, because I, I just didn't know what to do. Uh, I, and I talked to my wife about this. It took me like an hour to get back to reality. <laughs> That's how bad it was. And here's the immediate sense that I did. I unsubscribed from Netflix. <laughs> still needed Amazon Prime to get stuff faster because I still value efficiency. But I looked at everything that I had and I started, started cutting off things that wouldn't last. Um and because that was the sense the four pictures that I had and I, I knew that I was stopped I, I wasn't breathing when I was uh, dreaming those four images uh, when I was letting go of my children I, I knew that God was telling me leave my children into God's hands uh, when I was with uh, my parents uh, and the, their, their sparkling eyes as they told me this is the best mission field ever uh, I knew that my purpose in life was to spread the gospel nothing else and I was clinging to my wife and I was like I need to love my wife more <laughs> and disciple her and be discipled by her. At the final end, when Reverend Rue prayed for us, I was like, I need to pray for the people that are in this turbulent world right now. And all of you need prayer. (laughs) All of you need conversation and prayer. And it's like, that's the four things I'm going to live for. To lift up my children before God, to preach the gospel, to love my family, and to pray for the people around me. And nothing else matters because the world is rotating so crazily right now. We are surrounded by an avalanche of TikTok videos, wars, political unrest, hatred and tribalism that we've never seen before magnify to this degree. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, just look up pro-Palestinian or pro-Israel uh, TikToks and you'll lose your faith in humanity in 30 minutes. And when I awoke, I remembered, uh, because I read this a long time ago, uh, I remembered the motto of the Carthusian order. There's a bunch of monks in, um, and this is their motto. Let's show it on the screen. This is what they say. Stat crux, dum vulviter orbis. Stat crux, dum vulviter orbis. What it means is, in Latin, it means, the cross is steady while the world turns. Amen. They spent all their life, uh, uh, you know, in France. They went through, uh, you know, World War. They went through the French Revolution. They went through Napoleon's persecution. They went through political unrest. They went through the bursts of postmodernism. How did they go through that and still survive as a order of the Carthusian movement? Because they all had small rooms that they prayed in all the time. <laughs> they survived by prayer. And that is why I want to say Happy Thanksgiving to you. Because happiness and security and peace come from fixing our sight upon the gospel of Jesus Christ and nothing else. Nothing else. Um, here's an action item or homework. List down everything that you know gives you comfort, but you're not willing to acknowledge it. Write it down on a paper somewhere. And repent Give all your attention to the glory of God and the cross of Jesus Christ. And then try restructuring your lives around the one single constant that cannot be changed. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then may your lives be transformed from the inside out. That we will be the true church of Jesus Christ. We share the gospel. Pray for a turbulent world until he comes back. Because his kingdom will not fail.